So I don't always adjust my sermons for current events. I think that it's important sometimes to just continue with where you've been going. I don't think everything needs a, a reactive adjustment, but some things do. Some things happen in our culture, in our country, in our world that need to be addressed from a Christian worldview, and something like that happened this weekend. As many of you know, there was a demonstration of white supremacists in the city of Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, the demonstration turned violent. Uh, and I think it's important that we take some time and we talk about uh, some of the attitudes and things that are going on in our country. And there's really two points that I want to make in this message. The first point is this. White supremacy is fundamentally incompatible with Christianity. I just want to be absolutely unequivocal about that. White supremacy is fundamentally incompatible with Christianity. Now, I know a lot of you know that. I know a lot of you believe that. Probably most, if not all of you, believe that. But some people sometimes ask, well, well, what about these other sins, right? What about all of these other sins? And, and there's a time and a place to address those. But racial superiority some, uh, is something that undermines the gospel in a really unique way. Racial superiority is something that we need to address because it undermines the gospel in a really unique way. Uh, and here's why. Because the cross of Jesus Christ demonstrates that the equality of all people in the eyes of God. The cross of Jesus Christ demonstrates the equality of all people in the eyes of God. You may have heard the phrase before that there is level ground at the foot of the cross. There's level ground at the foot of the cross. What that means is that there's no race or nationality or tribe that is any better or any worse than any other. We are all sinners in need of grace, and that grace is freely offered to all people, regardless of your race, your nationality, your ethnicity, or any other identifier. That grace is available to all people. This is why the Apostle Paul could write the following in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. He says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all what? one in Christ Jesus. You are all equal in Christ Jesus. Now, for a lot of us who have grown up in church, or even who have grown up in America, this concept seems pretty familiar to us. But in its culture, when Paul first penned these words, this was a radical idea. This was a radical idea that all people had equal val value, equal worth in the eyes of God. Gentiles and Jews did not regard each other as equals. We'll talk about that here in a few minutes. Free people didn't view slaves as equal. There was a definite hierarchy in society. Women were not regarded as equal to men. Uh, men were clearly viewed as superior based on the practices in ancient culture, basically across the board. The idea that all people could be equal or one in the eyes of God was radically countercultural in the days that Paul penned these words. So although we may have grown up believing this, being taught this, this is, this is an idea that was radical in Paul's day. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, Neither slave nor free, neither is there male or female, for you are all one, you are all equal in Christ Jesus. That's why white supremacy or racial superiority of any kind is fundamentally incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want to be absolutely clear about that before we move on. 
So we're going to move from Galatians to the epistle of Ephesians, the, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he's going to expound on this a little further. In Ephesians chapter 2, this is how Paul starts out, writing to the people who were Gentiles. And as a reminder, Gentiles was just anybody who wasn't a Jew. If you weren't a Jew, you were considered a Gentile. Gentile was a, an umbrella term for anybody who wasn't a Jew. And so Paul is writing to people who used to be Gentiles who are now Christians. They have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, and he's writing to them. And this is what he says. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. In other words, Paul is reminding this group of people, remember at one time you were a group of people referred to as uncircumcised by those who refer to themselves as the circumcision. The Jews referred to themselves as the circumcision because that was sort of the mark that they had taken upon themselves as their, uh, the symbol of their covenant with God. If you're familiar with Old Testament history, you know that the Jews were, were the people that God had chosen to represent him, although they, they failed in that task. They didn't represent him the way that they were supposed to, and so God sent Jesus to, to make reconciliation. And so the term uncircumcised was really, it was a derogatory term that Jews would use to refer to non-Jews. Oh, those uncircumcised heathens, so to speak. Oh, those uncircumcised. It was, a, it was a term that demonstrated that they were unequal, that they were outsiders, that they were impure. They referred to themselves as circumcision, or referring to themselves as the pure group of people, those who had access to God. And so you can probably think of other derogatory terms that certain groups use for other groups, right? That's the kind of relationship that the Gentiles and the Jews had with one another. They, they didn't really like each other. Uh, the Jews referred to the Gentiles as dogs, indicating that they were unpure, that they were outsiders, that they didn't belong a part of the group. Dogs weren't pets like we think of today. They were scavengers who existed outside the city walls. So to refer to the Gentiles as a Jew was to refer to them as unpure, unclean, outsiders. And so this was a term that the Jews would use against the Gentiles. But the feeling was mutual. Uh, one Roman intellectual is quoted as saying that the Jews were, quote, the vilest of all mankind, end quote. So we have this hostility, this hatred between these two groups of people. They didn't eat together. They didn't hang out on the weekends. They didn't let their kids play with each other's kids. This was the kind of animosity that these two groups had for one another. And yet this is what Paul writes happens when Jesus died on the cross. He goes on. He says, remember... At that time, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Paul's reminding the Gentiles, this is where you were at one time. This is the separation that existed at one time. But now, Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. By what? The blood of Christ. In other words, this is the way that it was. There was animosity, there was hostility, there was hatred, but now. But now, by the blood of Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near. He goes on. For he, referring to Jesus, himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace, who has made the two groups what? One, equal, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. 
Now, Paul is talking about a, a wall of division here, and if you're familiar with uh, ancient Jewish history, you know that he's referring both spiritually and physically to a wall. In, in ancient Judaism, in the first century, in the temple where the Jews went to worship, there was a very literal wall in the temple. If you were a Gentile, you could go to certain parts of the temple, but other parts of the temple were uh, divided off by a very real, by a very physical wall. And the Gentiles were not allowed to pass into that wall, into those holy inner courts, into that holy inner sanctuary. There was a physical wall separating the Jews from the Gentiles. And there were warning signs along the wall that informed Gentiles that crossing the barrier would lead to death. This is how severe was the hatred and the hostility and the animosity between these two groups. The Jews said, we're the ones who have access to God. You're clean. You're outsiders. And unless you become like us, you can't have access to God. And so there was a very literal wall. And yet Paul tells us here that Jesus has taken these two groups... And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. In other words, in the death of Christ, by dying on the cross for all people, for all sins, what Jesus did was he equalized access to God for all people, breaking down the the figurative wall of division, which would later be fully broken down when the temple was destroyed. But figuratively, in his death, Jesus destroyed this wall of separation, this wall of hostility between these two groups of people who both thought that they were superior to each other. And Paul says, neither one of you is superior to each other. At the foot of the cross, there's level ground, and Jesus has come to bring reconciliation to make these two groups one. He goes on. He says his purpose, his purpose was to create in himself how many new humanities? One. Equal humanity. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in how many bodies? And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, the hatred and the animosity that existed between groups of people was put to death. It was nailed to the cross. In other words, among Jesus' people, there should no longer be any hatred, any animosity, any feelings of superiority one towards another. All of that was put to death on the cross with Jesus. He came and he preached what? Peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This is what Paul writes happened when Jesus was crucified on the cross. These two groups of people that had animosity and hatred and hostility were now brought near by the, by the sacrifice of the Son of God. Now there's a vertical dimension to this and there's a horizontal dimension to this. The vertical dimension to this is that in Christ, everyone has the same access to God. Before Christ came, only a select group of people, only a special group of people had access to God. Everybody else had to have a priest or somebody else come mitigate for them. When Jesus came and offered himself as the final sacrifice, he opened up the door. He made it so that everybody has direct and bold access to God. There's no longer any barrier lines based on nationality, based on ethnicity, keeping one group away. Everybody has equal access to God. That's the vertical dimension here uh, in regard to what happened here. But there's also a horizontal dimension. Right? This is not just a spiritual reality that this dividing wall has been broken down, that everybody has access to God. There's a horizontal reality here, and here's what it is. There is no room for racial, ethnic, or nationalistic superiority in the kingdom of God. I'm going to say that again. There is no room for racial, 
ethnic or nationalistic superiority in the kingdom of God. Everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. In other words, what that means is you cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ and a white supremacist at the same time. You cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ and a white supremacist at the same time. It is impossible. That is fundamentally incompatible with Christianity. Furthermore, I know most of you believe this. Those of you who are here in the room, those of you who are watching via Facebook Live, I know most of you, if not all of you, agree with this. You believe this in your hearts, in your minds. You're saying amen. That's very, very true. But that is not enough. Which leads me to my second point. It's time to speak up. It's time to speak up. And here's why. Because in the face of injustice, silence is compliance. In the face of injustice, silence is compliance. To not say anything is to be in support. I didn't used to believe this. This, was, this has been a change for me in the past few years. I didn't always believe that silence was compliance in the face of injustice. I used to believe that if I didn't speak up, if I sort of kept my head down, I could be you know, this quiet voice for moderation. I used to believe this. But then I started listening to people who were victims of injustice and oppression and bigoted violence. I started listening to and reading people like the esteemed Martin Luther King Jr., that great civil rights advocate, who said the following. He said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And I've actually heard this stated by many of my own non-white friends. They tell me that the, the silence of their white friends in the face of racism is often much more hurtful than the words of racists themselves. We owe them our voice. We owe them our voice. We need to speak up on behalf of those who are being hurt and behalf of those who are being oppressed and on behalf of those who are being treated unjustly. Another person who said something very similar is Elie Wiesel. Elie Wiesel was a teenager living in Europe when he and his family, who were Jewish, were captured by the Nazis and brought to a concentration camp. Elie Wiesel lost his mother and his sister and his father to brutal, racist oppression in Nazi Germany. They were all murdered in concentration camps. But Elie survived. And he devoted his life to fighting for justice, to bringing awareness to the cause of injustice and bigotry around the world by giving a voice to the millions who had suffered. This quote from Elie Wiesel is from his Nobel Prize acceptance speech. This is what he said. He said, I swore never to be silent whenever human beings endure suffering and humiliation. We must take sides, he says. We must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. I'm going to read that again. This is coming from someone, remember, who experienced the brutality of Nazi concentration camps. He says, I swore never to be silent whenever human beings endure suffering and humiliation. 
We must take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Here's the bottom line. Believing that racism is evil is not enough. We must speak out against it. Believing that racism is evil is not enough. We must speak out against it. We owe them our voice. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are on the street and a group of people come and start attacking you while you're on the streets. And one of your friends walks by. Maybe somebody from this church walks by and they see you being attacked on the streets. And as they walk by, they think to themselves, gosh, that's really awful. Gosh, people shouldn't attack other people. And they keep walking by without saying a word. Would you consider that person a friend if they didn't stand up for you, if they didn't speak out for you, even if it came at cost to themselves? Wouldn't you want them to jump in and try to rescue you, even if it meant that they were going to get hurt too? Isn't that what we would want to do for someone else? Don't we want them to treat us that way? This is how our friends feel, my fellow white Christians, when we do not speak out in the face of injustice. We can believe that racism is evil, but if we're silent about it, we are only helping the oppressor take it from those who have experienced the worst kinds of oppression. We owe them our voice. We have a duty, an obligation to speak. Believing that racism is evil is not enough. We must speak out against it. To recap, white supremacy is fundamentally incompatible with Christianity. You cannot be a white supremacist and a follower of Jesus Christ. But believing that racism is evil is not enough. We must speak out against it. The writer of Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time to keep silent and there's a time to speak. And my friends, it is a time to speak. So use your voice. Use your platform, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter. If you hear someone in your family, among your group of friends on the street speaking out, speaking unjustly, saying things that hurt another group of people, speak out, step in, and do something. This is a time to speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we study these texts and we recognize that most, if not all of us, are Gentiles by birth, that we don't have a Jewish heritage, and that without the sacrifice of your Son, that we would have been on the outside. But, Father, you loved us enough to send your own Son to bring reconciliation, not only with you, but with those who would have stood against us. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the equality that the cross brings, not only spiritually that we all have access to you, but, Father, practically and horizontally. So, Father, give us the courage to live this out. Give us the courage to speak up in the face of injustice. Give us boldness and love to call out evil where we see it. Father, help us to bring healing. Help us to be a voice of reconciliation. Help us to have the courage that it takes to call racism what it is. 
Father, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done for us, and we ask that you help us to speak out, to stand up for those who are being hurt by racist violence. Help us to be a cause and a force for good, in Jesus' name. Amen.